0: hello and welcome to another episode of sounds like comics a podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and tv i'm luke i'm jay and welcome to the podcast Today's topic, Superman for: the quest for peace. Even with all his powers, Superman still couldn't save this film. The film stars Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, Jackie Cooper, Mark McClure, John Cryer, Sam Wanamaker, Jim Broadbent, Marielle Hemingway, and Margot Kidder. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Yeah, um, I remember watching...
1: A documentary uh probably like yourself i have the superman collection box set that was released when they released superman returns on blu-ray
0: so that's and one of the doc- documentaries was it Up, Up and away yeah so that uh, one, yeah the one narrated by kevin spacey that one yeah
1: um and when it comes to this film uh how it came about after the the atrocity, which was Superman 3 with, uh, you know, the Richard Pryor movie starring Superman. <laughs> That's
0: an accurate description. <laughs> uh
1: The only reason, you know, they didn't even have Margot Kidder in that movie. They uh, brought in Annette tool as Lana Lang and, you know, things of that nature. They cut out most, a lot of the normal cast for that so they could get Richard Pryor. Um well-
0: Margot Kidder, uh, she is in it. She bookends it, but she's got like yeah. next to no lines.
1: Uh, when the only reason Christopher Reeve came back for Superman 4 was he he's like if we do a story about how dangerous nuclear weapons are and how ridiculous it is that we have them, I'll come back. Uh, which is why he gets kind of a producing credit on this one because the initial story idea is based out of his Discussions of like you know if you know something that's large but not so large as to break Superman's rule of like indirectly influencing like humans uh progressions like uh, you know they're gonna kill themselves with these things like he can't he can't stand by it's like you know he didn't stop all gun manufacturer or bullet manufacturer to stop criminals from shooting like uh, innocent civilians but this is so much more dangerous than that. Like, I think we can break that rule f- to tell this story. Um, but as he said, it's, it's a messy
0: film. Um, it is. As- it, yes, it's yes. Yeah, it is. It's a messy film. Another motivation for Reeve. He said, if the studio financed his project street smart, that was part of his negotiation. He'd make his fourth movie. Yeah. Because for a time, after Superman 3 in 1983, it seemed as though that was going to be the last Superman film. I mean, that one had negative reactions, whether it's from critics, audiences. And not just Reeve, the producers, Alexander Salkind and his son Ilya, They assumed Superman 3 would be their very last Superman film. Or in fact, actually, for the Salkinds, that was their last because they went on to sell the rights to canon films. Yeah. You know, the budget studio that was making Masters of the Universe, Chuck Norris, he made a few movies with them. But at a time in the 80s, yeah, they were making cheaper movies. And... Yeah, the budget of this movie, seventeen million. Yeah, which is crazy. Like for what this movie, what what they hoped this movie was going to be on the back of those original Superman films. Just, I mean, the budget they they cut dramatically at the box office. It went on to make thirty six point seven million. If you compare that to previous Superman movies, even the Richard Pryor one, still you know, financially was a hit, but it was all about money. And I get it's a smaller studio that purchased this fourth Superman film. But the original runtime, I read it was something like 138 minutes and they cut that down to an hour and a half. And the reason why they did that is because they wanted it to play more in cinemas. A shorter movie, you can screen it more times a day. It was all about money. And, you know, movie making, it is all about money, profit. But they were, they were cutting corners, left, right and centre with, with this movie. So Reeve did come back for this. But again, when he'd done Superman 3, that was going to be it. It's why he originally was slated to make a cameo in the Supergirl film in 1984. But he, he bowed out early. And, and decided not to appear. They mentioned his character in that film, but it wasn't in it. And it was two years later. So after sort 1986, thereabouts, that's when the Salkinds sold the franchise to Golan and Globus of Canon films. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's kind of the problem with
1: all of the uh, Christopher Reeves Superman movies, specifically... Superman Two, three, and four, not so much with Richard Donner's film, but specifically the ones after that where they cut him out and they got rid of him, is you can tell these are not Superman fans making a Superman film because. They break continuity, their own continuity, comic book continuity, common sense in all shapes and ways because they're like, ah, it's Superman. He can do whatever. He has all the superpowers. It's like, yeah, that's not how it works. It's <laughs> not, <laughs> not how it works. And
0: that's... Yeah. I just, mean, your editing room doesn't yeah. work that way either. <laughs> like, oh, we, we are talking like, like Superman has almost all the powers. If you're looking at yes. other superheroes... Yet they still felt the need to invent new ones. Yeah, uh, like Superman which... too. Like when he throws the plastic S from his chest. What even <laughs> is that? Or when he's playing yeah, the cellophane in the fortress and he's teleporting.
1: Yeah, um, and and you know, of course, the famous uh, mind wiping kiss, which he uses again in this film oh, at the start of
0: the movie or like well, at the Lois. midpoint of the movie. Yeah, he just wanted some advice, and then he mind-wiped. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've never, I've never liked that. But, it, yeah, he did it in, well, he did it in the early movies. And as you say, he's doing it again in this movie. You know, there's a, there's a power that he uses, and it never, I never understood it. And today, I found out the reason why. And it's the bit with the Great Wall of China, when it's damaged in the battle with Nuclear Man, and he uses, like, a, not telescopic, but with his eyes, he, he rebuilds the bricks. Yeah. And I actually found out today, and I'll share with you the reason why. In the original script, Superman was supposed to rebuild the Great Wall of China at super speed. That would have been pretty cool. But when money problems emerged... They had Superman use his magical rebuilding power, which had been completely made up for the film. It required only that director Sidney J. Fury run the camera in reverse rather than a complicated super speed scene. All about yeah. saving money. And that scene is a kid watching it. It's like, what is even happening right now? Surely if he has that ability, it, it looks a lot easier than turning back time in that first movie. That used to, yeah. yeah, that seemed to like physically like, be a strain on him. Where he was just rebuilding with his eyes, magical, yeah, it was effortless, yeah. He does it later
1: in the film as well. When nuclear man's like wrecking all those cars, cop cars rock up, and then they uh he they get flung back in time. That there's a group of people being levitated, and Superman just watches them, and then suddenly they're on the ground, like he's lowered them to the ground with eye powers, with like, eye powers. But the, uh, the, all of it you can tell because you can tell by watching the people on the side of the road, oh, they've just reversed the, uh, the footage that played
0: it That's, backwards. Yeah, there's so many dodgy visuals. You know, I mentioned a budget of $17 million. When they went into production, because it was after they'd started that they slashed the budget, they started making a $36 million film. <laughs> and after cameras had started rolling, $17 million. But with the visuals, something that it's always irked me, and I guess in Dick Donner's original movie, when Superman and Lois are flying, and they've got the whole "Can you read my mind?" the the spoken word song because they wrote a song for the movie, and then and then Margot Kidder can't sing, so yeah, yeah, they (laughs) didn't think she could sing, so it was more like a you know how William Shatner will do like a spoken word album. It was pretty much like that. But the part of the movie where he's flying and he lets her go a little bit, but then he saves her. Well, not saves her because she's never really done any real danger because that's part of the sequence and they're flying together. He does it more so in this film and he just lets her go. And she's free-falling and Lois is screaming and Superman's still flying above, smiling. Like, what is yeah, happening? Like, ah. <laughs> You can't fly, humans. <laughs> like nobody. It's like he recognises that like, she's screaming, and he's having a good old chuckle to himself, and then he goes and saves her. But yeah, yeah. dodgy visuals <laughs> across across this whole whole movie. You've touched on the plot a little bit already. With the world on the brink of nuclear war, Superman takes it upon himself to destroy all nuclear weapons. Lex Luthor, however, creates. Nuclear Man, a force strong enough to take down Superman. The beginning of the movie, and we've got Lex's motivations, when he goes to the museum where Superman had donated a strand of his hair and it was holding up that large weight, always liked that. There's some good elements in this movie. And with the critics, a lot of things that they had issue with, was how it's very inconsistent. It doesn't always flow together or make sense. Well, it was a 138-minute a movie. That got released as a 90-minute movie. Yeah. So I can it's a 35 million dollar disc- movie that got yeah. s- course, at 17. Yeah, it's like, oh, it, it seems like there's some scenes missing. Yeah, there's lots. There's lots missing. Yeah. But there's, there's good things. So let, we've talked a lot of negativity. Let's, say, let's, talk about some of, let's try and talk about some of the good things. the the hair in the museum. When Clark goes back to the Kent farm in Smallville, I really liked that. The neighbor comes along and he's like, just, oh, that Jonathan was a joker. And he's talking about things that he'd been told by from Jonathan that Clark did as a baby or as a toddler when he was accidentally damaging things around the house. I liked all of that. Yeah.
1: Um, Also the nuclear man himself as a kid, this I always found found him cool. I still think he's cool. I think he's a really well designed character for all the time. Uh, although I I've always thought it was clearly supposed to be Firestorm.
0: <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is the it, color scheme? The fact that original, he's the nuclear man. <laughs> yeah. It's an original character for the movie, isn't he? I don't think he yeah. existed until this movie, and he's played by Mark Pillow. Yeah. Now. I the first gym I ever went to back home in the UK. So I'm from South Yorkshire. Mark Pillow is from West Yorkshire, is from Leeds, and yeah. I'd been told that he used to come to Doncaster and work out at a particular gym, and that just happened to be the first gym that I that I ever went to. Just want to yeah. share that story. That's <laughs> nothing much more than that. But at one yeah. time, I went to a gym that maybe one, at least one time, nuclear Man also worked out in that gym. And you can tell he's a bodybuilder as well. I mean, he's in
1: much better physical condition than Christopher Reeve. I mean, he's a big
0: big guy. I don't think I use the same machines. I think he used bigger machines (laughs) at at that gym. But it wasn't until years later that I found out that you're not hearing Mark Pillow's voice. It's Gene Hackman. He's providing the voice of Nuclear Man. And that blew my mind when I found that out. And you go back and you listen. Oh, you're not. Know, it's definitely, definitely Gene Hackman. But I guess it, it kind of makes sense. And he's a father to this new creation that's somehow part him, but part Superman, powered by or birthed by Earth's yellow sun.
1: There's yeah, some comic um, book
0: science going on. Yeah, because I remember hearing
1: the same thing. I had the same reaction of like, "What do you mean, Nuclear Man didn't have his own voice? It was Gene Hackman." I would have noticed that as a kid, and then immediately, like, watched the movie and went, oh, that's clearly Gene Hackman." In fact, he even has when he first turns up. He's like, "Wow, you have my voice. You mean my voice?" Like it's Gene (laughs) Hackman. (laughs) He's answering one
0: hundred percent, like Gene Hackman. Yeah, like when you know, you know. He's like, "That's I can't believe I didn't connect those dots earlier." And i got to have imagined if he's from Yorkshire, that was because
1: they thought his accent, like Americans wouldn't understand this guy. Hey, Gene, we,
0: we're going to have you re-record his audio. Well, <laughs> it just sounded similar to me. Another Yorkshire villain who was dubbed over, Darth Vader, David Prowse, Yorkshireman. <laughs> I think in a big franchise, I'm trying to think of a Yorkshireman a part of a big franchise, and he was allowed to keep his accent 006 Sean Bean in Goldeneye. <laughs> yeah. He's still got his accent in that. But most Yorkshiremen, yeah, we seem to get dubbed over in these big Hollywood blockbusters. Yeah, especially the American ones. You know, I was surprised to find out today, and I shared this with you, I sent you an image. Originally, and this must have been in the longer cut of the film, there was a prototype nuclear man. So this is before Lex Luthor created the one that we see in the movie. And I guess what they were going for is Bizarro.
1: So the alternate
0: Superman from the comics. And I did read as well, at one time, they went to Christopher Reeve to play a, like a Bizarro version before they got to the eventual design that they went with for Nuclear Man. Well, you can see this online. The original nuclear man was played by Clive Mantle. I don't know anything else that he's done other than this, but it is awful, absolutely awful. Like when he's first created, he's almost completely naked. Only he's wearing like a metal saucer around his waist. Yeah, which is bizarre. And you can check this out on the DVD uh, deleted scenes. And there's quite a few scenes of him and he's being childlike and he's fighting Superman and the whole thing is awful. It is <laughs> it is so, so bad. Uh, it was portrayed as being bumbling, which is something we didn't get with Mark Pillow. It puts up a decent enough fight, punching Superman, similar to what we got in Superman 2. Uh, Superman ends up Frying him on a telephone pole, that's how he defeats him. And then later on, I guess we're gonna get the actual nuclear man. But at one time he was this bumbling character. At one time they wanted Christopher Reeve in dual roles, which you know they did already in eighty three. Yeah. The scene in the junkyard, best scene in the whole movie, best thing about the movie. Yeah. So the kind of done that already but they went to a Yorkshireman. They didn't keep Clive Mantle in the movie, but it's just bizarre. Like I've watched this film for as long as I can remember, but not until today did I know that this prototype nuclear man was even a thing.
1: Yeah. And they have other weird things as well. Like the daily planets bought out by a tabloid, uh, uh, conglomerate i'll say from uh this guy who owns multiple tabloids in a very um rupert murdoch-esque sense um and his daughter takes an interest in clark kent not superman clark kent specifically so he turns up for like a double date with himself <laughs> clark kent yeah and uh lace uh lucy Warfield. And, um, Lois Lane and Superman. I'm like, Superman wouldn't do that. Superman would be yeah. upfront of like, well, I'm not going to date Lois because otherwise I would already be dating Lois. Or no, nah, I'm dating Lois. I'm not going to show any interest with this uh, Lucy Warfield. Like, that's just a terrible idea. Like, why would I do that? It's and the
0: Nuclear Man has a thing for it. I guess it's, it's in all his- very. <laughs> confusing so you've got David Warfield he comes in played by Sam Wanamaker and he's like a, a Morgan Edge type character you, you know comparing it to the comics and yeah his daughter Lacey it's almost like she so she's got all this money men normally throw themselves at her and it's almost as if her attraction is encouraged by the fact that Clark isn't interested yeah, and that seems to make her more and more interested because she's used to getting whatever she wants. But you're right, like the whole double date thing. And does it one time Superman burn Lois's food just so yeah. he'd have another reason to leave? Yeah, it, it's it's silly. The leaning into the slapstick again that pretty much took over Superman three.
1: Yeah, um, and unfortunately, other things I'm very aware of. Physics specifically how they relate to objects in space, and thanks to the Chernobyl TV series from last year, and watching some um, documentaries on the seriousness of radiation poisoning, and both of these things crop up in a bad way in the movie. The opening, the cosmonauts in space like they spot the object that hits the uh, space station before it hits, and then Superman comes and saves everyone, and then he also just stops the space station before after before and uh he goes and grabs the cosmonaut who's been knocked knocked off now the way physics work is the reason why things orbit the earth is essentially and this is why they don't have gravity they're actually constantly missing the planet because the amount of force they've got going laterally so they're in free fall which is why they don't have gravity um if Superman would have stopped that space station, it would have fallen like a stone out of the <laughs> air because it's still technically in Earth's orbit. Like, it has to keep moving at that like horizontal speed to miss the planet. What well, that's one small thing I'm like, you know, what it was the 80s. People didn't, most people don't understand astrophysics. You could always say he just steadied it, he didn't actually stop it. That you know, I can write that off. But Jane Hackman also says he's got the line, Lex Luthor the nuclear man will be able to scratch his skin and give him radiation poisoning. And then you see later on Clark in his uh, apartment, he's clearly suffering from radiation poisoning and Lois comes by. I'm like, no, no, don't do that. Radiation poisoning (laughs) is contagious. Yeah. The radiative uh, material radiates, and infects others around those. That's why they've got to be like quarantined, like like they showed in horrendously graphic and in, in detail uh, and how just how dangerous radiation is. In Chernobyl, we watched it yeah, obviously again, eighty seven, which was after the Chernobyl disaster, but you're not gonna put that in a you know, for kids, superhero movie, understand? Yeah, but but like, also... you could have just said he could have poisoned him. You didn't have to it... specify know, radiation yeah, okay, poisoning. Yeah. You could have just said he poisoned him. But, but yeah, it's just...
0: also a franchise where the first entry it flew around the world and turned back time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> you know, I shouldn't hold these things up to these methods are <laughs> going on. the deGrasse Tyson can, on this: what can and should should happen? I mean, Nuclear Man is powered by the sun, so you'd think if anything it supercharged superman
1: yeah yeah scratch like that he should be like ooh and then just like slap him like he was nothing or i don't know even contact with him might actually
0: charge him more it's yeah um, but it's almost like it did charge him but to a, a damaging effect they had that oh god a fight and the fight especially on the moon and then all, and like superman being a nail and nuclear man's fist being a hammer and just yeah. <laughs> blow after blow knocking yeah. him to the to the surface of the moon. But it's as silly as all that is, it is pretty cool when Superman is defeated and then his his cape slowly floats down to the ground. Yeah. The Statue yeah, of Liberty cool. that is in Metropolis and not New York. Because yeah. although yeah <laughs> reasons.
1: <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, a nuclear man, the second he steps into shade, like, he depowers. Oh, and mean, he goes into the Daily Planet <laughs> looking for a woman in yeah. the middle of a building. He should have depowered then. Oh, also, no. he's st- dropped off on the dark side of the moon and the sun raises and gives shines light. The yeah. dark side of the moon is always in shadow. That's why it's called the dark side of the moon. <laughs> it's all but you knocked.:
0: know, You mentioned in shadow losing his powers it's immediate like it doesn't yeah. get weakened it just like, shuts down he just turns off he just turns off it's like if i go, uh, run out of battery oh off i go it's a it's a big design flaw let's put it that yeah. way you know i've mentioned the director a little bit like sydney j fury now i wasn't too familiar with him but if we look at that originally Dick Donner was to direct Superman 1 and 2. Richard Lester came on board, finished Superman 2, came back for Superman 3, and now we've got a new director for Superman 4. And I was unfamiliar. so I had to actually look him up. His 1981 horror film, The Entity, was declared by director Martin Scorsese as one of the scariest movies of all time. In his Vietnam War film, The Boys in Company C was a major influence on Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. He is also the co-creator of the Iron Eagle action film franchise and directed three of its four entries. Wow. What a resume. Yeah. And then in 1987, he directed Superman for The Quest for Peace. And I read as well, Wes Craven was originally hired by Canon Films to direct. But he and Christopher Reeve did not get along well, and Reeve demanded that a new director be brought in. There you go. Um, a lot, a lot going on there. But I was just really impressed impressed by the director's resume. We um we need to talk Lex Luther. Now he was so prominent in that first movie. He was back in the second. Behind the scenes, the firing of Richard Donner. He wasn't in Superman 3 at all. We've got Webster, a new villain in that movie, but he came back for this. And I can't watch this film now and not notice Gene Hackman's hair because, right, Lex Luthor's bald. And in that first movie, second movie, he is clearly wearing, or the character is wearing wigs. Yeah. And I get that in that first movie, it was a bald cap. And then when you put a wig on, it was Hackman's real hair. But from 78 to 87, Hackman has lost a lot of hair. And it's fine. It happens to a lot of people. But we're still led to believe, though, in Superman 4, that Lex Luthor is a bald man wearing a wig. And if that's the case, what an awful, awful wig. <laughs> because as a receding hairline, it's fine. It happens. But again, in this in this series of films, he is a bald man wearing wigs. That's yeah. not what we're getting in this film. It's clearly Gene Hackman's real hair.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's a weird one. And it goes along with a lot of this stuff of they weren't paying attention. Like you're making a direct sequel, it's Superman four, not a Superman reboot. Pay attention to simple things like, Oh yeah, Lex Luthor is bold, the way he's been in the comics. Since nineteen thirty-eight, <laughs> like it's he's always been bold. Um, yeah, if you couldn't pay Gene Hackman enough to shave his head, maybe have him wear hats for the whole movie. I mean, going back there are ways around the NCAA, these
0: things. <laughs> he simply didn't want to <laughs> because it could have potentially damaged any other upcoming or future work. It's like Cesar Romero, the Batman tv series in 66 he was known for having a mustache that was part of a, a distinguishing feature for him so it wouldn't shape for the show so that's why if you watch the adam west batman show and you look closely joker's lip he's got a mustache that i've just painted with white face paint yeah so which yeah.
1: as a kid you never notice as an yeah. adult now we have much higher quality of uh
0: resolution pictures it's clear as day (laughs) it's very clear and i like when a few years ago they did a continuation of the show but in comic forms and whenever joker would appear they'd give him stubble on his top lip (laughs) yeah brilliant but that's clearly what's going on with hackman like he didn't want to shave his hair in that first movie and in this one they were probably just happy to have hackman back and didn't want want to put too many restrictions on him yeah, on like such a
1: shoestring budget. I mean, after you've paid Christopher Reeve and Gene Hackman, you can't have a
0: lot left for the rest of the movie, especially the special effects budget. Well, I mean, this movie clearly looks so much cheaper than all the others, but I like the fact that putting that to one side, the cast are still here. We've still got Jackie Cooper as Perry White. We've got Mark McClure as Jimmy Olsen. And he's the one that's played a character in these films more than any other because he was also Jimmy in the Supergirl film. And if you saw Zack Snyder's justice league, he plays a cop. Yeah. So he's in that. So he's probably come back to the character more than most, but he does not have a lot to do here. And neither does Jackie Cooper as Perry White, but who does make his presence known? John Cryer as Lenny yeah. Luther. Wow! <laughs> All right, dude. <laughs> what is what is going on? I mean, of course, like Cryer went on to play Lex Luther in the Arrowverse, and I remember yeah. like when that was announced. I'm like, what are you even talking about? Ducky from Pretty in Pink. He's gonna yeah. be Lex Luther, and he's pretty good. I actually quite like him as um, Lex Luther, and he is bald only has a beard so he's bringing something yeah. different to the Lex visual but I like him as Lex in the Arrowverse in this movie though as Lenny wow I mean I guess he's supposed to be the new Otis type character yeah I just I don't know why
1: because surely the actor who played Otis would have been cheaper than John Cryer in 1987
0: Ned Beatty I don't know I mean when Deliverance come out he was in that And he was still making films, nineties, eighties, or eighties. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Ned Beatty, he was still making movies. I mean, he was in—I'm pretty sure he was—he was in the Captain America movie in 1990. Uh, I think he played a reporter in that. Let's not talk about that nineties Captain America. The Red Skull was an Italian for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Um, But okay, I mean John Cryer. I mean, Two and a Half Men. Obviously, he just like he took off with that show. That was the big moneymaker for him. We just put him everywhere. Yeah. But the character, though, I was curious, Like, is it completely an original character or, or does it come from somewhere? The name Lenny is possibly derived from Lena, Lex's sister in the comics. In the pre-crisis canon, Lena had a son named Val Colby. I mean, that's not obviously... <laughs> That's not Lenny Luther. Terrible. What a name. What a, what a comic book name. Val Colby. Val first appeared in Lex Luther's Outlaw Nephew in Adventure Comics issue 387. That came out in 1969. In the comic, he busted his uncle Lex out of a maximum security prison. So Lena, Lenny, similar, I guess, but busting Lex out of prison—that's how the Spot movie on. opens. Yeah, uh, it's just
1: a weird one, and it's, also oh, a super eighties yeah. hair. Let super eighties. It's, it's it's
0: it, it's stupid. I'll say it. Is, yeah. It is. stupid. But again, they needed a bumbling character for Lex to bounce off, like to tell the audience what he was doing, what he was thinking. Yeah, you can do it in oh. a comic without another character being around, but in a movie or TV show, you need to have somebody to bounce those conversations or thoughts off. And that's why we ended up with Lenny. I mean, it may be yeah. Miss, Miss Tessmacher, Otis. Miss those two. Lenny. John <laughs> in Superman 4.
1: Yeah, so odd. Um yeah. And Jim Broadbent, like when I saw his name pop up in the credits, I'm like, wait, what? Is that... That's got to be a different Jim Broadbent. No, no, it's nope, a, there it's he is.
0: The same one. For me, it's Slater from All the Fools and Horses, the BBC sitcom. That's <laughs> yes. what I know him from. I mean, I guess he's done like big Hollywood movies and he's in Paddington. I'm sure he's done some Harry Potter films.
1: Yeah, um, he's in uh, Cloud Atlas with Tom Hanks and the rest of those he's I, I know him from so many things so seeing him in this was like wait what yeah, and he he's still bold <laughs> it's really weird like you're you you look a lot younger man than you, i'm used to seeing you and you're still bold like he must have gone
0: bold at like 20 years old the thing with him appearing and it, and it happens quite a bit in so this is a movie that was actually shot in the UK but it's supposed to be metropolis in America. I mean, the vast majority of the external scenes were filmed in and around Milton Keynes, Buckinghamshire.
1: They just couldn't afford to shoot in New York. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, even to this day, it is ridiculously expensive to film in New York. Um, Filming
0: filming in the UK, you're going to get UK actors. And Jim Broadbent... It's an example of that. Yeah, it's just,
1: yeah, in this day and age, seeing him, I was I'm like, wow, Jim Broadbent's in this. That's strange. But yeah, like I said, it was filmed in the UK. Like, of course he was,
0: he was in this. You know, we're talking about some of the special effects earlier and the visuals, the super feats. And what in particular stuck out to me, more so, not more so, lesser than the, the Great Wall of China, that's the worst. <laughs> But the scene after Nuclear Man sets off a volcano in Sicily. I mean, I appreciate the trying to take us around the world on the cheap, but yeah, yeah. on the cheap. <laughs> yeah, but but they, they're still they're still trying. I guess they're working off that original script when they had a bigger budget. So what happens? In Nuclear Man, he sets off the volcano. Superman slices off the top of a mountain and uses it like a cork to stem the flow of lava but that sequence the lava which you can see has spilled over the top of the volcano it's not moving it looks like no. it's just been painted on a model
1: yeah uh, and it wouldn't have been painted on the model that that would have been painted directly onto the uh, cells of the film that's how they used to do before computer effects that is how they used to do like 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 laser effects and stuff on old school tv shows and films uh that's how they got the glow as well because the light of the projector that illuminates more so it's like reached there's like double exposed um how i know that don't ask i even i'm just <laughs> that's interesting yeah. <laughs> the second i saw that i'm like i know how they achieved that uh it's also how you see the little like the lazy shots from nuclear man when he's like Shooting cars and the Great Wall of China and everything else—it's the right. exact same technique.
0: I mean, I'll say this though: 1987, a budget of 17 million—they they did the best they could. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I happen to
1: have watched Wedding
0: Singer later today,
1: which you know, many years later. Um, you're talking what late 90s, early 2000s. That was made on a budget of 18 million. Oh, was it really? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Still one of sam's best, but wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's,
1: it's just, that's crazy. To put it into context, like, how cheap this movie was, <laughs> there's, there's a direct, like, uh, comparison.
0: Well, this has got a superhero or, like, a super battle in Sicily, the moon, <laughs> you know, we're moving, we're moving around the place, and, yeah, did it all for 17 million. The music... I always found the score an interesting one and where the credit goes for the soundtrack. Alexander Courage, you would know from Star Trek, the original series, he did the theme. I don't know if he scored the show, but he definitely did the theme. But with this movie, the score was adapted and conducted by Courage from music by John Williams. And how I'd always taken that is that he was just repurposing or using cues that Hughes, that Williams has used on previous movies. But what I found out is that Williams composed three new themes for this movie. Huh. And those themes were attached to three new characters. Lassie's theme, also known as Someone Like You, is a sultry, sexy melody for the daughter of the new owner of the Daily Planet as you mentioned before, who has eyes for Clark Kent. Jeremy's theme is a light lyrical melody for the young boy who appeals to Superman to rid the world of nuclear weapons. And the nuclear man theme. Those three themes were original pieces by John Williams for this film that were then later composed by Alexander Courage.
1: Huh, I guess he wrote them, but... They couldn't afford to have him actually do the like, do the in uh, studio recording and do the actual sound like music
0: editing. No, I'm surprised that Williams has done anything for this movie. I was generally so I just assumed that by his name being associated with this film, it was just courage repurposing or
1: using, yeah, I would have have assumed the same thing. Um, it's yeah, it's really strange. It's. I guess I mean, was yeah. it was a
0: contract, like, I mean, was it wasn't even the Sal at this at this point. I don't know what it was, but if you look at the, at the cover for the soundtrack, and it didn't get released at the time, it was years later that they released it. And it's music by John Williams at the top, and then below it says conducted by Alexander Courage.
1: Yeah, I wonder, uh, I mean, if it's only just three themes. Maybe he could do it, like, oh yeah, I'll get those to you whenever, um, and did it between other uh, projects. Well, I don't
0: know why. I mean, he would have been so busy scoring all the Spielberg movies and all the <laughs> other projects that he was working on. Again, that like, was it. Contract. I don't know the reasons why, but he came. If they filmed in back. England,
1: maybe he was around. Like, he's an American composer. Yeah, yes.
0: I really... Really strange. Now I'm wishing yeah. that I looked into it further because I'm generally you know, quite quite curious. But yes, uh, Alexander Courage adapted William's themes for the film, integrating the three new ones with all of the existing themes from Superman. He also supplied two new themes of his own, a missile motif for when nuclear arms are shown or discussed, and a Russian motif, a minor mode march, used when Soviets and their weapons appear. So courage also (laughs) contributed something. But for the most part, it sounds like he was just conducting Williams' music.
1: Yeah, it's Hollywood. It's, It's so odd. I
0: never understand all these ways of doing things. You know, around the time of the movie, so in late 1987... DC Comics prepared a comic book adaption of the film. This edition included different dialogue from the film and incidents from deleted scenes of the movie. In place of a voiceover from Lara in the early scene involving Superman finding the mysterious crystal, there is a projection of Jor-El himself, much like the first film. So we should say as well, Susanna York did a voiceover. this film, just like she did for Superman 2 when they couldn't get Brando back. The comic book features a battle with the failed prototype of Nuclear Man resembling Bizarro and an around-the-world fight with the second Nuclear Man. The adaption has an alternate ending with Superman and Jeremy flying above Earth, observing that the planet is, in reality, just one world Rather than the divided world one sees on a man made map. In the adaption, Jeremy is seen in orbit with a space suit. There you go. That's not something <laughs> that they include in the movie. But in the deleted footage, he's not wearing any vacuum protection of any kind. <laughs> yeah. That's consistent. Uh, same with Lacey.
1: When the uh, man has her in space, she's clear as day in the space. She falls back towards Earth and Superman has to take it back down. I'm like, she'd be dead. There's no oxygen up
0: there. She would be dead. Superman, the movie, he takes Lois above the clouds and takes her pretty high and she's okay. She can be yeah. absolutely fine. But what, the things I just mentioned in the comic there, the alternate ending appears in the deluxe edition DVD and on the Blu ray. So just check out the deleted scene section like I did today, and then you'll find footage of the prototype Bizarro. Oof, I'm not sure I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was in 87. We got the Superman four comic, and as we've said, Nuclear Man was an original creation for the film. But in 2018, in Superman, issue two by Brian Michael Bendis and Ivan Rice... They brought Nuclear Man to the page. Are you familiar with this at all?
1: No, no, I, I never read it, but that's interesting. He didn't
0: last long, right? This, this whole thing was going on in the comics, and Bendis is no longer writing Superman, so I don't know how much they're going to cling to it. But they had this character, Rogol Czar, and apparently he was responsible for the destruction of Krypton. But then the mystery in the comic is that, is he just full of shit? Or was he really responsible? But in issue two of Superman, Rogel Czar and Nuclear Man engage in a heated slugfest, and at first they appear to be evenly matched. However, it doesn't take long for the ties to turn in Rogel Czar's favour. He claps his massive fists together against Nuclear Man's head, and in doing so, causes a massive nuclear explosion. Then, as Rogel Tsar looks upon the charred body of his latest victim, he utters, That was satisfying. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what's going on there? Like, is this like Bendy saying, Hey, it'd be fun to include Nuclear Man in this comic? Or someone got a particular issue of Nuclear Man? Who knows? But whether it's writer artist, they had the villain being fairly satisfied with murdering Nuclear Man, which is potentially his second ever appearance. Yeah, I uh,
1: I wouldn't be surprised if that was an editorial thing of New- Bendis being like, "Oh, I want to bring Nuclear Man into the comics," you know, from Superman Four, and they're like. You don't want that. <laughs> what what yeah. if I just bring him in like for like some fan service for an issue and then kill him off? Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. You can do that. that. And that's what that sounds like because it's, it's crazy. They never bothered to introduce him unless it was an issue where they'd have to purchase the rights. But it being from original DC material anyway, it usually goes, you know, like all, all floods back to the original copyright. I wouldn't imagine... Like, that's why Marvel quickly created She-Hulk. Because they had just uh, sold the rights for the Hulk TV show and were worried that they were going to come up with it first and then they wouldn't own it. So they quickly created the character to cover oh, their wow. ass. Oh, wow. Is that
0: how it, how it came about? I mean, yeah. I think with, with Nuclear Man, yeah, I think it was just a choice not to use him again. But there's just something... I don't know. For me, there's something novel about the character. You know, he was a powerful foe in sunlight that Superman yeah. went up against. I mean, Sup- Superman 2 was really fun. We had the three Kryptonian villains. Superman 3, Richard Pryor in a supercomputer. Apparently, that was, in, that was supposed to be Brainiac in that movie, and he got changed. And then yeah. Superman 4, Nuclear Man, so at least... They've got him not only going up against a powerful threat, but Superman's taken out of action, and he yeah. he has to use his last crystal to recover.: Yeah, Nuclear man, so you've got him in this movie, a couple of comic book appearances. And that and that is it. So Jay, this movie, if you're going to rate it, out of five. <laughs> um. It's tough
1: because there is some nostalgia wrapped up in this film for me. I always, and even now, I still thought of all the villains Superman fought in the uh, in the Christopher Reeve movies. Nuclear Man was probably the most interesting. Um, the best acted was clearly Zod, but um, I think they did the most interesting stuff with Nuclear Man. But with all the other issues, which clearly result of the behind the scenes, the way it eventually comes together and the and also the amount of silly stuff that just dragged me out of the movie whilst watching, I'm probably going to have to give this a two out of five. It's not so bad that I think it's uh, like, oh, don't watch this. Don't ever watch this. There's still some fun to be had. It's just the, the goofiness. And the, the like you said, the, oh, he's got magic eye powers. These are the things that, <laughs> yeah. as they're happening, even as a kid, I can recall yeah. going like, wait, how did Superman do that? Wait, what? What's that? What's going on? And they just drag the whole movie down because um, everyone shows up, who shows up, does their best performance. Um, And, you know, goofy characters aside, it's what you get. Uh, and the music is still great. It's just... What's you know? We've said this before on the podcast about the the elements of the movie that weren't filmed or were just cut completely, which are the connective tissue to make a movie make sense. This is another one of those classic examples of like, yeah, you shouldn't have cut those; those needed to be here because it just kind of jumps around and things happen. Like,
0: yeah, so two out of five. Yourself, I'm also going to come in at a two, and it's it's nostalgia like I grew up watching this film and as a kid like yourself, recognizing that motivations or abilities, powers he's using are just made up. I did notice those things, but it was just, it was another Krista Reeve movie and all the actors and the characters that I recognized from those previous movies were present. Yeah, there's things to like. There's a lot to dislike, and it really, it really is disappointing that unfortunately this was the last Christopher Reeve Superman film. Very, very disappointing. But yeah, two, two out of five. I think I think that's fair. I mean, it's not a great movie, uh, but it's it's an okay movie. Yeah. Well, that's it for our episode all about Superman for the quest for peace. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.